Blog Talk Radio. for takeoff. Roger, Reaper 35. We're on the roll, requesting a straight-out departure. That's approved, Reaper 35. Eastern than any other airline in the free world. 
If you've helped make us America's favorite way to fly, we thank you. If you haven't flown Eastern recently, give us a try. We'll show you we really do earn our wings every day. Today we're going to go to the pages of another very important book titled Wings of Man. 
And later, Captain Neil will tell us about the book and how we can get a copy of it later in the show. Harry, what has our producer selected for the show today? Well, Captain Mike, our producer found a story worth repeating, one that the EAL radio show broadcast as part of an episode a few years ago. The story we selected today is titled Requiem. It's by Jimmy Goodwin. REPA contributor, and it appeared in Repartee, the magazine of the Retired Eastern Pilots Association, and also The Wings of Man, the story of Eastern Airlines as told by its people. The subtitle, Rickenbacker and Runyon. As the big airplane left LaGuardia Airport, the lives of two men came together for the last time. Each a tower in his own field, both had climbed from a lowly position to a position of wealth and power. Self-made men, they were called, but there were great personal differences. Alfred Damon Runyon enlisted in the Spanish-American War by exaggerating his age. He later served as a war correspondent in World War I. He became a prolific writer, poet, playwright, and novelist, but was best known for his short stories, which centered around Broadway. Its strange assortment of people, its gamblers and promoters. Using a unique style concocted of underworld argot and the present tense, his talent drew attention from both readers and producers. Sixteen of his stories were made into movies. The Broadway musical Guys and Dolls was based on his stories of the same name. Runyon was short and dapper, bespeckled in his later years. He was a shy, quiet introvert who masked his feelings under the pose of a professional tough guy. Now, Eddie or Edward Vernon Rickenbacker, born on the wrong side of the tracks in Columbus, Ohio, left school early in his teens to help support the family. His hard climb led him to become an automobile mechanic, a racetrack driver, and chauffeur for Colonel William J. Billy Mitchell in World War I. Transferring to the Army Air Service, he learned to fly in France and became America's top ace with 26 victories to his credit. Captain Eddie Rickenbacker had returned to America as a hero. After failing as the builder of the Rickenbacker automobile, he joined General Motors, touring the country to promote its cars. GM later made him general manager of its airline, subsidiary Eastern. He then bought the company, building it, building it into one of America's great airlines. Rickenbacker was tall and big-boned with a commanding manner, which made him stand out as a leader in any group. He was also tough and demanding, yet always ready to respond to a call for help. It was because of such a call that this special flight of an Eastern Airlines DC-3 Silverliner was climbing for altitude as it headed down the Hudson River on December 18, 1946. Captain John, or Johnny as he was often called, Captain John F. Gill, a veteran pilot, was in command. If anyone or if anyone could be said to be in command when Captain Rickenbacker was aboard, 
Well, Captain Eddie Barber, whose red hair and jovial manner made him one of Eastern's best-liked pilots, sat in the co-pilot seat. The cabin attendant gave a cheery good morning to Mr. and Mrs. Damon Runyon as they entered the cabin. To Captain Rickenbacker, who boarded last, there was a warm, Good morning, Captain. And Rickenbacker responded, as he always did, with, How are things going, Joe? Captain Eddie was forever probing for information. That was probably the reason he was the most knowledgeable head of any airline. As the three people took their seats near the rear of the cabin, the attendant went about the business of making them comfortable. Wraps were stored in the rear of the cabin. Hats were placed in the overhead rack. He switched the reading light on and pulled out the ventilator over each passenger's seat. As he gave them each a small pillow, he said, If you need anything, just press the button, and motioned his hand toward it. Eastern's cabin attendants were thoroughly trained to look after the passenger's comfort, attentive but not obsequious. The cabin attendant was puzzled. There was an awkwardness about the box Damon Runyon Jr. held on his lap. Strange, thought the cabin attendant, that he had seen and handled hundreds of packages during the last week or so. It was a Christmas season. The Salvation Army bells were ringing even as the passengers boarded the airplane, and almost every holiday passenger had one or more packages to be stowed away. Yet the cabin attendant hesitated to offer help with this box, which was wrapped in brown paper and tied with a heavy cord. Instead, he offered the passengers chiclets. Captain Rickenbacker sat across the aisle from his two guests. His presence caused the attendant more concern because the boss was always conscious of cabin service. There simply was no way to say it. Can I put it in the seat in front of you? Would you be more comfortable if I put it on the floor? No, that wouldn't do. The roar of the engines evened out and became a funeral dirge as the Silverliner headed for the Statue of Liberty. In the end, he decided that this was a case where doing nothing was the best choice. So he remained in the rear of the cabin. Before long, there was the sound of a buzzer and the cabin attendant went up the aisle and into the pilot's compartment. Returning, he spoke quietly to Captain Rickenbacker, who got up, nodded to Damon Jr., and walked up front. The younger man followed him into the pilot's compartment and pulled the door closed. Somehow, the cabin attendant felt some gesture to Mrs. Runyon Jr. was in order, as she was now alone in his cabin. She accepted a cold drink, but required nothing else. In the pilot's compartment, Eddie Barber moved from the co-pilot seat and Captain Rickenbacker awkwardly eased himself into the right side seat. His ankle still bothered him, a carryover of the injuries he sustained in the 1941 crash of a DC-3 sleeper plane in Atlanta. Damon Jr. passed the box to Rickenbacker who removed the wrappings and gingerly handled the heavy bronze urn. Being a practical man, he used the heavy cord from the box to secure the urn, with one end tied around the neck, the other tied to his right wrist, just in case. Captain Eddie next pulled back the sliding window on his right. 
a job made more difficult with his right wrist fettered to the urn and the cramped quarters. Standing beside Eddie Barber in the crowded aisle behind the pilot seat, Damon Jr. was fascinated by the multiple multitude of dials and knobs and levers and switches. Then his eyes caught the urn. The urn Rickenbacker was holding and the wasted years flashed through his mind. There are differences on so many things, trivial they now seemed, placed distance between them. There were many things they had in common. One was alcohol. Like his father, he was a newspaper reporter and writer, though not as successful. By a wry twist of fate, their reconciliation came through the writing of letters and short messages that his father passed to him after surgeons had removed his power of speech. He had followed in his father's footsteps, and too late. They then came to the end, or find the love that only a father and son can know. As the captain sat holding the urn in his lap, waiting for Johnny Gill to reach the agreed-upon location, his mind took him back to France, where he first met the American war correspondent in 1918. The next time he saw him was when he called upon the great newspaper reporter and writer to help in preparing himself for patriotic speeches he was so ill-prepared to give but was expected to make on the Liberty Bond tour. It was early in 1919. He had been brought back to America to tour the country, but his skill and courage in the air did not prepare him for the challenge on the speaker's platform. That he had a successful tour was in large part the result of help from the man who was no more. His reverie was broken by a touch on his shoulder and Eddie Barber's voice. Coming up, Captain. When the airplane steadied over Broadway, Captain Johnny Gill nodded to Rickenbacker to indicate they were approaching Times Square. The window was about level with his face, requiring him to twist around to the right. Carefully placing the neck of the urn out of the window while holding it with two hands, a most awkward situation, he tilted the container to let the contents escape. There was a sudden cloud of dust as the lighter ashes were sucked back into the cockpit. But the solemn task was over. Captain Rickenbacker quickly withdrew the urn after getting, giving it a final upturn. He was coughing and wheezing and trying to get to his handkerchief, but his hand was firmly tied to the now empty bronze urn. The others inhaled a share of the contents, but Rickenbacker, whose face was only inches from the window, received the full impact. It shouldn't have happened. The crew was thoroughly familiar with the idiosyncrasies of the ventilating system of the cockpit. By opening the sliding windows on each side, the intake of the air could be regulated, but things in the pilot's compartment were anything but normal. Rickenbacker occupied the co-pilot seat. Johnny Gill was more or less watching Broadway. Eddie Barber and Damon Jr. were awkwardly standing behind the pilot seat. To have told the captain how to handle how to handle the window or anything else for that matter would have been like Peter telling Jesus how to heal the sick. 
The confusion was soon cleared up. Rickenbacker freed himself from the urn, which he passed back to Damon Jr. Alfred Damon Runyon's last, last wish had been carried out. His ashes, or most of them, were floating down along the great white way that had been so much part of his life. But there was a portion that would continue to fly the roots of Eastern as long as that ship kept in the air. Rickenbacker was still having a problem as he deplaned. His eyes were a bit red, and he was blowing his nose as Johnny Gill, noting the time, said, Going to have lunch at the airport, Captain? Eddie Rickenbacker looked at him and snorted, Hell, we just had Damon for lunch. <laughs> uh, where in the world Jimmy Goodwin got that story? Uh, Jimmy was a great writer. I remember meeting him uh, on several occasions, and uh, he was the historian for a long time for REPA and sent me some great stories to be added in the in the magazines uh, over the years that I was the editor. Uh, a great writer and a great story. He must have gotten that from either Johnny Gill or either maybe the flight attendant told him that story, but uh, what a story it was. It was a great yeah. one. Yeah. Well, stories like that, of course, uh, it, it, there, there were so many, and that's what we've been trying to accomplish over these 35 episodes of the Reaper Radio Hour, which uh, is about to come to a conclusion here, the end of the Reaper series that we have done. We've done uh, Old Time Radio. Don, you remember we started with that series, Old Hop Time Harrigan. Radio? Yeah. Hop Harrigan, that's right. And, Good old uh, Hop Harrigan. Lot. Yeah. Coming in. Roger, we're coming in. Yeah. <laughs> and and Sky King, too. And Sky, Sky King, King, too. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, and then, then we, we did, did the series. We did the series yes, on did. the big bands. Yeah, that yep. was fun, too. No, that was great. Yeah. And then, of course, this series has been 35 uh, series and uh, our episodes that we've had and all of them recorded. I was thinking about, what do you guys think? I was thinking about taking all of these, putting them on the flash drive, all the stories that we've told uh, during this uh, 35 uh, episodes and uh, having them available if anyone wants a complete series of all the stories that we've told. Yeah, but, you can uh, do that. Yeah, here again, it, it would be free. I, I couldn't sell it for anything. Nobody would want to buy it. But... Uh, at any rate, it's been fun doing it. It's been fun working with you guys uh, with the uh, Repa Radio Hour. And <clears throat> we're going to change things around a little bit in that uh, January 7th. I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, Don, did I say or do we have another one of these shows? I think this is the last one of the uh, Repa Radio Hour. I think it is, but I'm not yeah. sure. And because of the Christmas holidays and January uh, New Year's uh, coming up, I think we've decided that this is going to be the end of the yeah. Radio Hour series. And and then, we, of course, we'll still be doing uh, Monday nights uh, for a little while. And that little while will be the first part of January when 
We will no longer do that uh, nightly show of the EAL radio show, which we have been broadcasting for 10 years now. And most of you guys, uh, plus others, have been host uh, during the show, and uh, it's been great working with you. Uh, but we've got a new series that we're going to do, a new broadcast, a new show with a new name. No longer EAL Radio Show. It's changed to Aviation News and History Radio. And let me repeat that again, Aviation News and History Radio. And just as the name of the show uh, implies, it's Aviation News and History but there's much more than just that. And um, I think I've given each one of you guys a category so we can kind of talk about it as we walk through our first production, which is January uh, 7th, I believe, is uh, our first broadcast, which will be Thursday at 3 o'clock this time slot. And then we're going to change it. And we're thinking about doing it at 7 p.m. on Thursday evening, uh, evenings. Uh, we've been doing our shows on Monday, but uh, Google seems to think that Thursday, more people listen to radio than at any other time during the week is on Thursday. I didn't know that, but <laughs> but Google did. Google knows everything, right, guys? It does. And then the time of day, Google says, from 7 p.m. until midnight. Well, no one's going to stay or, stay up at midnight doing a show, so we'll probably settle at 7 o'clock like we did on Monday nights. So that's the plans right now, and we've got a great show coming up for you. And uh, I'm going to ask each one of the hosts to tell us a category of the show, which will probably be along the same format with each show. But... With these categories, there's so much that we can cover in the hour to an hour and a half that we will have to do the show. Harry, what, what's our first category? Uh, the first one, Neil, is we have is current aviation news. There should be lots to cover in that category. Oh, yeah. Now, Harry, were you with us when we were doing breaking news? Uh, no, no. Okay. We did that for about a year, right, Don? I yes, we did. You and Dorothy came up with that idea, and yep. we did yep. breaking news, and uh, it worked out pretty good. And uh, we had uh, several uh, breaking news items that we would cover, but we were primarily aiming the breaking news at commercial aviation. Right. Uh, airline type of news. But now it's going to be covering aviation um, the entire spectrum of aviation, commercial, military, and general aviation. Might even throw in some drones in there as well if we get some the way of the future. There you go, of the future. So lots to do in that category. So, But we can't do the entire show on just breaking news. So, Mike, what do we got coming up after that? Yeah, well, we have uh, another subject which, which would be good on on this day in history for for each day that we're going to do the show. We'll 
come up with a bunch of uh, ideas that uh, things that happened over the years may in, in aviation, old and new. And that ought to be a pretty interesting uh, subject because you can probably pick out a whole bunch of different things you could talk about oh. there or, and or look up. Wow. You're right, Mike. <clears throat> and I've got so many books about aviation history. And and um, so, you know, there's so many different airlines we can talk about, the military aircraft that, uh, that uh, have uh, – uh, have happened over the years, and, and uh, golly, I don't, it, it's going to be fun working in that department, uh, in that category, aviation history. Well, we all we all have the tons of books laying around, and if your yeah. bookshelves are like mine, they're, they're all hanging in a U shape because they have so many <laughs> books hanging, and they're all bent in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Mike, you just hit on something that that's one of my pet not pet peeves but the, one of the irritations that i get when i look at a library full of books <laughs> and my wall is wall-to-wall bookcases yes it is and I've it absolutely that. annoys me to see these books like you say a bow in the middle of the shelf <laughs> yes. of the heavy books <laughs> and uh so when we bought our bookcases, we made sure that they wouldn't take a, a, a 200-pound person or whatever to bend that sucker. So uh, all of our books are straight well, line. What I used to do with mine when I first moved into my place and had all the books on there, I noticed that the uh, the, the shelves were bending like that. But at one time, I could, I could walk up to the shelves before they were piled with stuff in front of them. And I, I used to take all the books off each shelf and flip the uh, flip the shelf over upside down, and put them all <laughs> back in there, so so it would even out again for a while. <laughs> yeah. Go the other way for a while. And there you go. <laughs> I gave up on that years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got a lot of aviation books, and uh, over the years, uh, good friends have given me. As a matter of fact, John Engel, uh, Admiral Engel, who was uh, my best friend for many years there and he was an eastern uh, employee with 42 years of service and uh, fortunately i moved to jacksonville and john lives here and and lived here and he passed away at 97 but he gave me his entire library and it was full full of books he contributed a lot of stories to to uh, repartee and uh, always attended the conventions too so most of the pilots knew john pretty well he was not a pilot he was a station manager and marketing and sales. A wonderful man, wonderful guy. Well, as, uh, as we all know, with, as we all know, with the, with when it comes to the books, uh, for the longest time, most of these books haven't really left the shelves because we have the Google and the Wikipedia now. Anytime we want to look things up. Yeah, so that's right. Uh, that's right. So, but you know, well, there's nothing beats the old hard copies. But they're very nice, and of course, they're only a, right. they're only a problem when you go to move. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, getting back up, no, I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, uh, which you mentioned on this day in history, uh, Mike. Uh, that implies that we're going to, when we start our show, uh, January seventh, we're going to find out what happened over the years in aviation on January the seventh. Yeah. Now there may be there may be nothing that happened in aviation, 
but we're going to do some research and bring that part. So it should be uh, uh, that should be interesting to find out what happened on that day in aviation history that we do the show. So that'll be yeah. fun to do. I think it will be fun. <laughs> Uh, Harry, what else are we going to do? Well, we're going to going to take a look at some aviation world records. Uh, that will be a, a fun segment, too. You know, one of the guys that held many of these records just passed away, General Chuck yeah. Yeager. So yeah. I think we'll all anxious to hear about men and women like him. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, back over the years. Good. Go ahead, Don. No, there was a good bio. Uh, yeah. On Facebook about uh, Chuck Yeager. Yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, no. Uh, oh, you know, over the years with Eastern's history alone, uh, <clears throat> Art Virchgott, who was a historian for Eastern, uh, did, uh, and we've got all of Art's work on our website, ELRadioShow.com. But Art included uh, a daily accounting from the Pitcairn days all the way up until the end of the strike or the end of demise of Eastern airlines. And so I turn to that often uh, in our radio programming and and trying to research for our shows. I would often go back to arts history of Eastern airlines, which was great. And I found that a lot of his writings were records that our pilots would set pieces of equipment like the Connie and the DC-7, and uh, the aircraft, the jet aircraft that we had. And back in those days, it seemed like every time we uh, had a new airplane, someone would try to set a world record with that, with the speed, mainly with speed. But it'll be fun to talk about the various types of world records in aviation, altitude, yeah. speed, and, um, and other uh, records that were set. So that'll be fun to talk about. And Mike, what else do you have here? Well, we got the next category is uh, the calendar of events. Of uh, that should be another interesting thing, or whatever's going on uh, on that particular day, with all of the different associations. Uh, yeah. Uh, around around in the states and around the world, actually, for uh, all exactly. of the uh, like the Young Eagles and. Uh, and uh, EAA and uh, the uh, air shows, the Sun and Fun, Oshkosh, mm-hmm. and all of these different shows around and uh, events that they have at, at museums and barbecues that they have at airports. It's, uh, that should be a very interesting topic because you can, there's just a ton of things that you can look up in the back of the magazines that uh, the aviation magazines that are, that are, uh, that are going to be going on on any, on any given day. Yeah. So that's a nice interesting word, topic. You just mentioned the word museum. You know, that's another good category that we can include in our weekly discussion as to the various museums of aviation uh yeah. around around the US especially. Uh you know the ones that I'm real fond of, of course everyone likes the Aerospace Museum up in Washington and the Smithsonian and um and also the one uh, at uh, Pensacola, uh, the Naval Museum. What a, you know, at one time, there were more collection of aviation uh, parts and planes and memorabilia and so forth at the Naval Museum in Pensacola than at the Smithsonian. 
That's the truth. Yeah, I it can't was, believe that. Yeah. And uh, every time I used to live in Pensacola, and every time I'd have somebody come in from out of town, that's that's where I would be heading to entertain them. Would be over the museum. So happy hour. Yeah, my wife would go with us. Of course, she she was bored to death of all the times that I visited the Naval Museum. <laughs> but the Air Force had also a museum right down the street down there at Eglin Air Force Base. You know, down there. Right. It's yeah. a great uh, aviation. Museum and uh, well, so they, museums might be good to talk about. They had a lot of uh, right there in Oakland, uh, California. Of course, they have the old, uh, which used to be the old Boeing School of Aeronautics, which my dad yep. went to in the 30s. Uh, it's it's uh, I've been we were based our hangar was right across the street from it, and I, and I used to go over there every once in a while. It's kind of an older, uh, rundown museum, but they put some money into it. And they got uh, a pretty good uh, outside display and an in- inside display, and it's uh, a lot of people don't even know about it. And they have all yeah. kinds of all kinds of functions going on there with little barbecues outside and all the rest. Yeah. That people would like to know about stuff like that. And you know we and have uh, that's an Shea, excellent category. Yeah, Shay Oakley, who uh, hosted with us for a while, and uh, he uh, was uh, the curator and head of the. Uh, New, Z- uh, New Jersey Museum yes. and uh, Hall of Fame. So uh, I'd like to get him back on our show and talk about uh, museum work. And right, um, yeah. I, you know, I was on a trip and I went out with um, I, I forgot who it was, Bill Malone, I believe, and we went to L.A. and had a long layover and rented a car. And he wanted to take me down and visit the Tall Man's Museum at Orange County Airport. And yeah. uh, uh, Tallman and uh, Paul Mans went together yep. and started a museum down there. You know, Paul Mans was the he was the um, movie industry pilot that flew a lot of Harry uh, uh, flights uh, and uh, did the did the the flight of the Phoenix. Remember the movie where and that's where that's he died. It. Right, exactly. Yeah, and um, they also so we and we met. We met Frank uh, uh, Tallman, and um, I, I think, yeah, Frank Tallman, yeah, and he also yeah. flew the movies, uh, planes. But, yeah. yeah, that's a great category. I'm going to insert that in there. They had also, uh, if you might remember, they, they had a, uh, a, I think it was an A model or an F model. I forgot, a P-51 that was out in front of their yeah. Of their uh, yeah. establishment, and that airplane was eventually taken off of the uh, off the pedestal that they had it mounted on, <laughs> and they restored you know, that airplane, and, and and it became a Tuskegee Airmen airplane from the uh, three uh, was it the three uh, seven uh, the twenty second three twenty second squadron from the Tuskegees. Oh, yeah, that was okay. a great that was a great movie too, by the way. Yeah, you know, Frank Tallman, uh, he reminded me of Roscoe Turner, and um, they both wore those riding breeches, you know, and uh, yeah. Frank had a had a hair-thin mustache, you know, one of those like you would draw across your upper uh, lip. Howard, Howard Hughes mustache? <laughs> yeah, and also yeah. Roscoe Turner had that same one, and when Boston we met Washington. him, when we met him, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Bill Malone asked if uh, he was around by any chance, and sure enough, he was there. And and uh, I was too busy looking at the airplanes to get engaged in a conversation with Frank. But at any rate, that that was a lot of fun, and that's what we'll do. You know something, uh, just quickly about the museums uh, in the. And the west side, the back side of uh, Fort Lauderdale Airport, uh-huh. there's about a half acre of land back there that has been preserved as a museum back there from World War II that is totally very, very interesting. Wow. And it, they've even got a little Eastern display in there. And I toured it uh, from our last uh, uh, meeting that we had down in Lauderdale. Okay. Uh, took a- a lunch break and one in there. Well, I didn't know it was there. I didn't know. And they've also preserved in that museum the room where George Bush, when he was a second lieutenant, uh, where his uh, little room was, his desk, his bunk, everything nice. has been preserved in there. It's pretty wow. interesting. Well, keep that uh, in your mind. Uh, put a note. Note. Uh, a postum note, Don, to include that in our discussion because we want to hear more about that, okay? Yeah, yeah, I'll have to dig up my things yeah. that I have there. All right, what's the <laughs> next category, Don? Uh, aviation book review. And now, there's a ton of stuff in there yeah. off those uh, bent shelves that you guys have got. <laughs> <laughs> bent shelf review. Well, you know, with the authors that we've got on our website that have been on our radio show over the years that we've had, um, well, uh, golly, who who can I name here? George Jen, my golly, he's one of our hosts, and he's written two well, you, great books. Actually, he's written three, three of them, but he hadn't published the third one yet, I don't think. But... Uh, George Jen and uh, Carlene Pettit has written about six or seven aviation books, and Christine Christine Negroni, and Christine, of course, uh, writes aviation for uh, newspapers, syndicated, and also has her own um, blog that she puts out, and we hope to have Christine on our show talking about some of the books and her own books, but we've had several writers um, uh over the years so yeah a book review aviation book review yeah we even have a publisher that we talk about all the time his name is neil holland (laughs) (laughs) we can get him on (laughs) you know i have been in real estate most of my life it seems like 1963 when i first came to work for eastern I got a license, uh, my first real estate license down in uh, in Virginia, in Washington area, as a as a brand new co-pilot, making four hundred and seventy five dollars a month, uh, and supporting my wife and two children, and uh, and an apartment. It's not much left over, if anything. And so I decided I'd get in real estate. And one of the captains had a real estate school, Jimmy Singletary. You probably remember him. Don, but um, Jimmy uh, offered that school, and I went at night courses and got my license and and been in real estate ever since. Still have my license, still have real estate school. I'm teaching, still teach a real estate class now and then. 
So um, uh, books, yeah, I've written a few of those textbooks, and it's a lot of fun to do that. But, yeah, we've got a lot of great uh, people that we can interview for books. And then finally, Harry. Finally, our last category is Flight West. What do you think we mean by that? Well, in my gonna... opinion, it's, it's what we've talked about before, the avi- aviators that have taken their final flight west. Yeah. And uh, hopefully we won't be talking too much about that. But um, we have some folks like uh, Chuck Yeager you mentioned earlier and uh, who just died. How old was he when he passed away? 90, 97. 97, I believe. 97 yeah. years old. So uh, we hope to uh, be able to talk about those that have made that final flight west. But anyhow, it should be a good show. I'm hoping that it will be, and, and we'll give it a we'll give it a test period, and and hopefully we can bring in all of our Eastern Airline listeners, and bring in some more airlines, and um, have a better a bigger conversation. Neil, do you have a do you have a way to contact some of those other airlines, organizations, and so forth? Yeah, sure do. As a matter of fact, um, <clears throat> one of the great ways of marketing now, getting yourself out there, your presence known to the world, is Facebook. By the way, yeah. Oh, uh, what's his name? Zuckerberg. He's having a hard time now with Congress. Wanting to cut him apart, just like AT and T or uh, Bell, the Bell system. Remember? Now YouTube also. Are YouTube too? Also <laughs> YouTube too. Yep, they just—I saw that in the news today. They said they're going to start screening all that. <laughs> well, when when you look at the way that that uh, these companies, how much of our life they dominate, oh. I think there's something there. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, you know, I get our announcements of our show out to seven different Facebook sites. Uh, the Silver Liners, for one, the uh, Eastern Airlines flight attendants um, that uh, now have opened up their association to all flight attendants from any airline can join that association. And um, so they have a a website page, and so I alert them every time we have a show that we're doing a show. And the uh, Eastern Airlines Brats, they've started to grow their web presence, and these are children of Eastern employees over the years, and they've got a presence. And then we have um, a flight line, and Mark Porter has a uh, a website, I'm not a website, but a Facebook uh, presence also, Flightline. And uh, so there are several of them out there. And I try to hit them all every week that we have a show. So we're going to do m- more than that. And I've also included with that National Airlines retired employees and also Pan American re- retired employees. And I like to go into the military air- uh, Facebook. I'm sure there are a lot of military groups, squadrons, and so forth that are out there on Facebook. 
that we can uh, count, count also. <laughs> so I'm going to have to hire somebody to do all this work <laughs> and pay them nothing. Do some inking. What you say? <laughs> what you tell Captain Jim? You need an inker. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> an inker. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we. That's what our plans are, and wanted to put it out there, and going to send all of our listeners, our regular listeners, that I have an email list that I send out uh, every week about our new schedule. And um, Don, that's about it. That's about all I've got for our program. I hate to Yeah, do you off. have anything coming up for Monday night, Neil? Yeah, sure do. Got a program. We're going, of course, being so close to Christmas, guess what the music's going to sound like? <laughs> <laughs> Jingle bells. <laughs> Jingle bells. Yeah. Uh, Jingle bells, and uh, we're going to have some Christmas music, but uh, hope to have a little, um, little, uh, a short history of the how the song originated and. So uh, it'll it'll be different, and we've had one every year, and uh, so we're going to do that this coming Monday night. So I was looking at my calendar here, between uh, Don and Neil and everybody else there. Uh, we you had to send a note out about the uh, the the Wednesday, Thursday show being canceled on the twenty fourth and the thirty first. Of course, we got today is the tenth, and uh, we st- still had one open for next Thursday. Is there going to be a show next Thursday, or did did I miss that? And we're going to cancel that one. Yeah, I think we've canceled it because so close to Christmas. And um, so the 17th, this would be the last show, uh, episode 35, which we've just do it done today. And uh, so we won't be back on the air on Thursdays until we start our new aviation news and history. Yeah. And um, But we will do the Monday night show, and that will be the 14th, this coming the 14th. And then the 21st, we're not having a show because of the closeness of Christmas and the 28th. So we're going to take a little break. You know, we've been on the air just about every week this year. We've had a, a couple of breakdowns, technical breakdowns, and uh, either weather caused or either producer caused. <laughs> I think most of them were producer caused, but uh, we've enjoyed a pretty good pretty good record this not, year. Not not bad con- considering it's it's uh, kitchen table radio, right? <laughs> kitchen table. Don't tell Dorothy that. <laughs> right, Don? Right. She doesn't like that. Oh yeah. She doesn't like that. <laughs> well, I told her I, and it doesn't even help to put a tablecloth on the kitchen table with Dorothy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> but, uh, uh, great lady. She has really worked uh, wonders. Uh, with the website yep. and helping out in all of our shows. So, Dorothy, um, you, you're pretty lucky there, Don, my man. Oh, yeah. she She's a great gal. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. All right. Okay, lucky. well, that's about all I got, Don. Uh, let's see. Shall we let's get come. out of here? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's take her out and put the airplane on the ground somehow. Start the descent here. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see you again uh, on the 14th, everybody, uh, with our radio show. And by the way, if you haven't visited our website, it's uh, www.ealradioshow.com. 
www.eastern-stories.com. You'll find many more great Eastern stories and memories. So it's time to say so long, Eastern. So on behalf of all of our hosts and our, cap- our producer, Captain Neil Holland, this is Don Gagnon saying so long, Eastern family. We love you, Eastern. We love you, Eastern. Okay. So long, Harry. Mike. Good. See you okay. later. Bye. Hour so and eight minutes for happy hour. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. I almost forgot. And end time. Only silver wings slowly fading out of sight. Don't leave me. Oh, by the way, one more request since I see you all uh, still got your phone number on my producer board. Uh, thank you for some good bumper music for our new show. I thought about Magnificent Men and Flying Machine, but it's got to be something better. <laughs> we'll come up with something. But I still like Earl Haggard. Here we go. Headed somewhere in flight They're taking you away Leaving me lonely Silver wings Slowly fading out of sight